So you're about 16 years old, and you are very familiar with the good life. Uh, You were raised in a good home. You are of royal blood. You have had a good education. You're in great shape. Uh, You have lived in abundance, and you've been brought up with a strong faith in the Lord God. But an invading army captures your city. And the next thing you know is you've been ripped from your home, gathered with other young people, and you are forced to travel and be deported uh, over the course of a several-month trip to over 800 miles away, and you find yourself in a new land and a foreign culture. You will never see your parents or your homeland again. And your captors, on top of that, force you to serve an oppressive king. And so they make you learn and speak a different language. You start to eat different foods. You learn different customs. You learn a very different religious system. They even change your name. And now you live in this culture that's tried to rob you of your faith and your identity as a child of God. But you also have deep convictions to be faithful to God. And so you start to analyze which battles are worth fighting. Like, what hills do I die on? When do I submit in humility and respect to my new masters and serve them well? And when do I demonstrate courageous faith in my God and stand my ground? This is your life, and Daniel is your name. We are beginning a new series today called Courageous Faith, and we're going to be in several chapters in the book of Daniel looking at this biblical character, Daniel, and looking at the courageous faith that he demonstrated in a foreign culture that was drawing him to compromise and to fit in when deep inside he had convictions to be faithful to God and was trying to figure out how to do that. It's a great example for us today. And so uh, we have to choose between living by God-pleasing convictions or self-pleasing compromise. Now, Unlike Daniel, we're not slaves. We're not locked up because we love Jesus. We don't live under the threat of death for our faith. No one's kidnapped us. No one's forced us to live in a land we don't want to be in. We, we can own a Bible. We can read from it. We can pray out loud and not worry about uh, being hurt. We can go to a place of worship like we are in today and, and worship or watch online. You know, we, we can do all this stuff freely without being put in jail. Now, we know this isn't true for many of the Christian men and women, boys and girls around the world, but today, here, in this moment, in this place, we're free. We're free to speak about Jesus and to worship Jesus. Now, we're not slaves like Daniel was, but we are servants. We are servants. We're followers of Jesus Christ, which means we're called to love and serve our Lord, right? We serve our Lord with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength. We're called to love and serve the church, our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're called to love and serve those who don't know Christ, who are, who are lost in this world. We're even called by Jesus to love and serve those who don't like us, who want to do harm to us. That's what it means to be a servant of Christ. Now, because we love the Lord and believe that God is sovereign, and we believe that God rules and he reigns over all events of mankind, past, present, future, we can live in this life with a courageous faith, even if we feel outnumbered at times, 
even when our biblical opinion is not popular, even when we're misunderstood or marginalized, even if we're persecuted, even when we experience fear, when we look at all the signs of the times and all the things that are so disturbing to us in the news, even then we can live with courageous faith. And we can live with courageous faith when even we have mutiny on the inside and our own sin nature tries to entice us away from God's best. We're called to live with this courageous faith as we trust God and we trust his sovereignty. So I invite you right now to open up the book of Daniel in your Bible, fire up your Bible app, get to the book of Daniel. If you're here today and you don't have a Bible, uh, we invite you to stop by the information center on the way out, get one, we'll give you one for free. And we're gonna look a little bit more about this courageous faith in the life of Daniel then and produce a courageous faith in our life now. So let's pray and dive in. Father, we know that as we uh, show up here this morning, as we log in online for those who can't physically be here, Lord, we know that we fight a battle every day. We fight a battle between convictions you put upon us through the power of the Holy Spirit and the pressures of the world to compromise or, or to draw us into an inappropriate way to stand for our faith. So Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ that you meet us in the place where we all need to hear from you. Lord, speak to the very areas of each of our hearts as individuals and as families, and Lord, to our hearts collectively as a church family, and how we can live courageously for you, not because of anything that we bring to the table, but because we have a sovereign God who's in charge of all things. We can live with courageous faith. Help us to understand more about that today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. Let's look at Daniel chapter 1. We're just going to move through the entire chapter. We're going to stop here and there and look at some uh, verses. Well, let's look at verses 1 through 7 to start off with. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Now, in the year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar. That's another uh, term for Babylon to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans." And the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Now, what we're reading here, we have to make sure we understand, it's not a uh, myth. It's not a children's storybook. This is actual history. This is all taking place right around 605 BC when the Nebuchadnezzar II came in and took over Judah. He just conquered uh, you know, a conquest in the north and came down in the northern part of Judah and took Jerusalem. And part of that victory led him to take 
And a significant portion of the best of the best, right? He told his servant Ashpenaz, pick guys from nobility. Pick guys that are some of the best of the best and, and bring them so that they can come serve me in Babylon. And so this is a historical event. And there are times when, if we're going to be honest, we doubt the Bible. We go like, can I really believe that a man got swallowed by a fish? Can I really believe a man was in a whole you know, cave with lions and didn't get eaten? And, and all these kinds of things that we see in the Bible. And Daniel is one of those books that has, go, has undergone scrutiny and skepticism over the years uh, for one particular reason. And I'll, and I'll show you how God continues to reinforce the reliability of his word. And so when you get to Daniel chapter 5, it says that there was this king over Babylon named Belshazzar. And, uh, you know, he reigned. And so for years and years and years, there was no historical record of a guy named Belshazzar. And so they obviously fed the skeptics the thing. You see the Bible, you can't trust it. You can't rely on it. They just made this name up, stuck it in there, whatever. And of course, in 1956, archaeologists were digging around the Middle East, and they found uh, this clay tablet. It's called the Nabonidus uh, Chronicles. And King Nabonidus was the last king of Babylon. And this was a Babylonian inscription recording the history of uh, some of the history of that season. And in this tablet that they found, the Babylonian tablet, it says that King Nabonidus, uh, near the end of his reign, left to go be with his soldiers in the battlefield and left his son on the throne in his absence. And his son's name was Belshazzar. And so it's so cool how what we read and what we hold is reliable. It's authentic, it's historical, it's not a myth, it's not a storybook. These events took place. And so we see that the Jewish captives uh, were taken, they're in Babylon, and they're being uh, forced to be servants of Nebuchadnezzar. And we saw how Nebuchadnezzar basically said, we're going to take the best of the best, these youth, and we're going to indoctrinate them and all things Babylonian and make them my slaves. They're going to serve me. And what you see here is Daniel and his friends are removed from Jerusalem, they're removed from the land they love, they're removed from all that's familiar, and they're placed in an environment that's completely foreign and really hostile to their worship of the one true God. They're now in a polytheistic uh, culture, and they're being forced to think, eat, sleep, dress, Babylonian. Everything around them externally has changed. And so they're learning this language of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were basically a, a sect of wise men in the Babylonian culture. They were highly influential. They had the highest education in all things religious, uh, scientific, political. And so these young men were to learn, you know, basically AP Babylonian, you know, and become useful to Nebuchadnezzar. And everything Jewish about them was to be purged. Their language, their religious practices, their education, and their diet. And then you start to really look at the passages and you start to see things that you don't see at first glance. Like, for example, the chief of the eunuchs oversaw them. And they were in a, in a eunuch-oriented culture. And so that tells you something else that isn't exactly stated, obviously, here, that they probably had an unwanted uh, surgery, right, involving uh, the standard operating procedure of the time when a foreign king took you into a service. You became a eunuch. And so not only are your clothes changing and your diet and your food, they're taking things off that you don't want off. This is bad news. These guys are not having a great time. And on top of that, they changed their names, 
And, and this isn't like your, your typical Jewish person back in the day didn't just pull up a book of baby names and go, oh, that sounds cute, you know? Um, they tried to tie names to meaning with God. And so that's why when you see uh, the term El, any of these names, Daniel, E-L, it's a reference to God, Elohim. And so all their names had deep, significant spiritual meaning. And their uh, you know, new masters said, well, we're going to change that. We're going to purge your God even out of your name. We're going to give you new names that tie to Babylonian gods. And so Daniel, which means God is my judge, was changed to Belteshazzar, which means Bel, protect the king. Okay, so now he's got a pagan God tied to his name. Hananiah, which means the Lord is gracious, is changed to Shadrach, which means command of Aku. Uh, Mishael, which says who's like the Lord, is changed to Meshach, which means who is what Aku is, another deity in the Babylonian system. And then Azariah, which means the Lord is my helper, is changed to Abednego, which means servant of Nego, another uh, God in the deity system of the Babylonians. That's why a lot of times when I'm reading through this book, I've just untrained myself to say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because those are their Babylonian names. Those aren't the names they want to be known by. I want to call them by the names to honor who they you know, are and their God. So man, it's Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael. These are, these are guys that love the Lord. I mean, how would you like it if all that we just read about happened to you and, and you were entered into a new culture and forced into a new culture and your name got changed? What if your name means God loves you? And they change your name to Satan loves you. You're like, oh, that's awesome. Thanks a lot for that, you know. Servant of Christ becomes like servant of Muhammad or servant of Buddha or servant of Vishnu, you know, of another world religion. How would that feel? And so they're absolutely trying to indoctrinate and strip them and rob them of everything tied to their conviction. Everything externally is changing. Now, Daniel's culture dramatically changed, and we see this tremendous pressure now to compromise. They're, they're outnumbered. They're, they're an extreme minority. They're a minority within a minority being there. And so the pressure to just compromise and cave in and go like, well, we're away from our influences. We're away from everything that matters, so we're just going to give in. That's the temptation. And you know, when we think about our life, when we think about our culture, our culture has had major, major seismic shifts, has it not? Like, we, we are not being raised in the same world and culture that our parents and grandparents were raised in, are we? There's a major shift in the area of technology, in morality, in spirituality, all these things, major changes. So a lot around us has changed. It's so interesting because you look at Daniel and you go, Daniel was taken out of Jerusalem and placed in Babylon. But a lot of times for us as, as biblical Christians, we feel like Babylon just started like growing up around us, right? And all of a sudden you just find yourself in a culture where you're going like, oh, it just hasn't always been this way. So what do we do when, when the external experience changes? Because what we, what we see in Daniel here is Daniel doesn't fight back externally. He, he doesn't get militant he doesn't start marching and protesting. He's not tweeting bad things about Nebuchadnezzar. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't, we don't see this taking place. He, he takes a different approach of trying to de demonstrate courageous faith. And so let's look at that because we're called to demonstrate courageous faith in a world that doesn't honor our you know, Christian beliefs and values and biblical worldview. But how can we have courageous faith in a world that's changing? Well, let's see what Daniel did. Daniel chapter 1 again. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 is like the key verse of the whole chapter. 
Okay, it says right here. But Daniel, and what's the next word? Resolved. It means he set in place. He means he, he fixed it, all right? But he resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him. Notice that. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned you food and drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. And then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Let's stop there. Here, Daniel resolved. He put a stake in the ground about where he wasn't going to compromise. You guys have heard that expression before, put a stake in the ground. What does that mean? Well, obviously, it's, it's very literal that you would take a stake and you would actually hammer it into the ground. And this comes back from when people were taking land and they were staking their claim. And they would find a chunk of land and they would stake it out and it would say ownership. This, this belongs to me. This, this is taken. That's what it means to, to drive a stake in the ground. I'm going to put a stake in the ground. And so what Daniel did is he's saying, I'm going to put a stake in the ground in my life right here. Which is so interesting because when you look at Daniel, here's basically what he's communicating. Look, you've changed everything. You've taken me out of my home. Change the way I dress. You change the food that you're putting before me. You, you, you had surgeries I didn't ask for, you know, forced upon me. I'm learning languages and education and religious stuff I don't want to learn. You changed my name. And now you're putting this food before me that, that I'm now going to have to have a serious issue with. And so what he did is he finally said, this is where I'm going to put a stake in the ground. I'm going to demonstrate ownership here. I belong to the one true God. Fine, take me out of Jerusalem. Fine, take me to another land far away. Fine, change my clothes, change my name, change all this stuff. But this is something that you will not have an impact on. And it's interesting because when you read here, when Nebuchadnezzar captured Jerusalem, he took the instruments of worship, the vessels of worship, out of the temple, right? This was an act, a symbolic act that my gods are more powerful than your God. That's what he was saying to the Jews. And he took these vessels out and put them in his little trophy room. And so here you've got Daniel going, okay, so you've taken me from the temple where I would worship God, but there's another temple you can't touch. There's a temple in here that you can't touch. And so I'm putting the stake in the ground. And some of you are thinking, it's just food. What's the problem, man? You know, roll with it. And what he, what he saw was that this was going to be a violation of his holiness. This food was, was probably sacrificed to pagan gods this food was going to unite him to be uh, with the king. It was going to be unclean. And so by partaking of this food, he would become unclean. This was going to be a violation of his holiness. And so this won't work. And so he makes a stand on this. I just want to be clear. This is not an issue of diet. This is an issue of devotion. 
This is not a physical issue. This is a spiritual issue. This is where we get so tweaky about stuff like, oh, this is a prescription that you have to eat vegetables and water. No, this is just the way that Daniel was going to demonstrate his faithfulness. And so all my carnivore friends go, okay, good. You know, because we can walk out of here and still have a barbecue later. Yes. Have your veggies. They're good for you. Drink your water. It's awesome for you. But this isn't a physical issue. It's a spiritual issue. Daniel's putting a stake in the ground. He's saying, no, this is where I make my stand. You've taken everything else away, but this, this holiness is very critical to me. But look what he does. He doesn't demand. Do you notice that? He doesn't say, you will not force that food upon me. You can't make me. He didn't call a hunger strike. He asked. He showed respect. He showed humility toward those who were over him. He said, hey, I'm asking this of you. And of course, that guy's going like, you're asking me to take my own life in my hands. Nebuchadnezzar's going to kill me because if you're just eating veggies and water, you're going to be scrawny and then I'm going to send you before the king and he's going to be like, oh, who did this? And then it's me and then, okay, here we go. And so Daniel had the wisdom to say, let's just do a test. You've got me for three years, man. You're going to be training me for three years. Just give me 10 days. Just give me 10 days. Let's just test this theory. And you know what? He was given that. He was granted that. But I think this is so important that we look that Daniel in this moment, because he's saying holiness matters. You're not going to take my internal devotion to God away. And so Daniel is being a great example of having the courage to be holy when everything else around him is working against him. I'll say that again. Daniel is having the courage to be holy when everything else is working against him. It was a courageous thing to ask his overseer to do something different. That took courage because he knew that God was in charge. And that's just a big deal. I mean, this guy is a problem. He's probably about 16 years old, okay? For those of you who have teens, have had teens, this is a 16-year-old boy. If you know anything about how 16-year-old boys eat, okay? It's like a locust coming through your house and all your pantries and your fridge are just like demolished, right? Ransacked. You can go to Costco and buy a mortgage worth of food and it's gone in three days. This, this is a 16-year-old boy and he's now in this place of abundance and excess and they're laying down the wine and the best of the food and he's saying no. He's saying no out of a place of deep conviction. And I think it's so important to realize it wasn't that Daniel was against food. It's that Daniel was for holiness. See, Daniel here wasn't demonstrating that he was against Babylon. He was demonstrating that he was for the Lord. It's different. That was his motivation. And so when we think about our own lives, when it comes to personal holiness as a follower of Christ, we need to realize when we try to be holy before the Lord, and remember, holiness means set apart from sin. It means to be removed from sin. And we know that we can't be holy on our own. The only way we have a shot at being holy is when God comes in and lives in us through a relationship with Jesus Christ and starts to refine us and sanctify us and make us more holy than when we didn't have Christ. And he's going to perfect that holiness when Christ comes. Amen? That holiness will be perfect one day. Until then, it's this battle between conviction and compromise. And so we see here, that Daniel's saying, I'm going to not be in a position uncompromised. And so for us, what are we fighting against? It's not the question. It's what we're fighting for. Like, like we're for sexual purity. Like we're for integrity. Like we're, we're, we're for things that please God. It's not that we're against all the things 
that are the antithesis of that. And so we have to have a courage to put a stake in the ground. We have to say, Lord, boom, I belong to you. I'm putting a stake in the ground. My heart belongs to Christ. And no matter what happens around me, I'm not going to compromise. So here's what some of us have done. Some of us have said, okay, I'm going to give my life to Jesus, and so I'm going to put my stake in the ground, and now I belong to the Lord. I'm fixed. I'm immovable. And all of a sudden, the young man meets a young woman who doesn't love Jesus, and she's so pretty. Oh, now he's over here. Now he's moving. <laughs> no, I, I belong to the Lord. I'm fixed. I'm not, I'm not going to have sex before marriage. I'm going to wait till marriage. Oh, wait. You know what? Um, things are kind of financially tight. Let's just live together. And once we're living together, we open up the bottle of temptation. And so now I belong to the Lord, but my integrity is actually pretty mobile. See, mobile is good for phones. It's not good for holiness, all right? I don't, I don't want to steal. I want to be a person of integrity with my finances. And so personal holiness means I'm going to trust God. I'm not going to trust myself. I'm not going to be clever or try to manipulate things to, to use resources. We fix that thing, but then you have a tough year and it moves. Like when you think about your personal holiness, are you fixed or do you find yourself moving around a little bit? It's a false sense of holiness when we say we belong to the Lord, but in reality, we're all over the place. Just circumstances will determine just where we're going to go instead of staying fixed. Daniel didn't do that. Daniel said, no, I'm going to put the stake in the ground and I'm not going to move. This is a significant area for me that I will not compromise. And so he decided to be holy when everything else around him was unholy. You know, we live in this world and this world is an unholy place, right? Right? And you know why it's unholy? Because of you and me. Because <laughs> people are unholy. And so it doesn't surprise us when the world uh, creates policy or when the world um, you know, starts to deconstruct morality. That doesn't surprise us. It shouldn't shock us because when we don't have the Lord, that's just the nature of humankind. We go that way automatically. That's why we need the Lord. And he's called us to be holy as followers of Christ. Just a few verses on that. In 1 Peter 2.11, we're told, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, we're not talking about like UFO aliens, right? We're talking about people who don't belong to the world and to this planet, but belong to the kingdom of God, as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. God's calling us like, be holy. The things that this world is about, you're not of this world. You're otherworldly. You belong to the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man. And so resist, put a, put a stake in the ground, resist the things that are trying to impose themselves upon you in, in the areas that are holy. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. We're called to mature in our holiness and to keep maturing in our holiness. And so we cleanse ourselves, we make ourselves holy through faith in Christ from all the things the world's trying to impose upon us. In 2 Peter 1, 15 through 16, 1 Peter 1, uh, 15 through 16, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct since it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. The moment that we cross the line of faith in Christ, God is 
continuously trying to make us like him. And part of that's going to be that we're going to take on a holiness that in our own flesh we could never have. And so we battle for holiness, which means every day we wake up, we have to choose between compromise and conviction. Every day we have to either put a stake in the ground for holiness or we have to revisit a stake that's already been put in the ground for holiness. This is what God's called us to. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, what about all the things we're supposed to be doing? Aren't we supposed to love the poor and help the oppressed? All these Absolutely. We're supposed to go out and make a difference, but a lot of Christians are getting it backwards. We're trying to fix everything on the outside, but we haven't fixed what's wrong on the inside first. I love what Daniel does here, because as we continue through the book of Daniel, we see how God maneuvers Daniel to be an influence in an entire nation. He uses him to make a difference. But where did Daniel start? In the heart. His holiness in the heart is where he started. It's where he drew the line first. Look, you took everything else, but you're not going to take this. My brothers and sisters, we live in this world, and they're trying to indoctrinate us to be like the world. And we have to say, you know what? We're going to fight this battle every day, but we have to start by putting the heart in its proper place with the Lord. You know what I love about the gospel? You know what I love about our understanding of Jesus? God put a stake in the ground literally to get us. When the Lord put the cross in the ground with the Savior on it, it was his stake of claim upon us. And because of our sin and our filthiness, the Lord said, you can't do anything about that, but I'm going to put a stake in the ground. I'm going to send my son Jesus to die for your sinfulness He's going to raise from the grave. He's staking his claim upon the souls of mankind so that whoever believes in him is fixed. And so our eternity is secure. But you know what? Also, our ability to be holy is secure because he's empowered us through his Holy Spirit. He's empowered us through his word. He's empowered us through his presence to win this war against unholiness in the heart. That's where we have to start this battle. And so because... God is sovereign. I can live holy. I can live courageously. My friends, our biggest battle is not out there. Our biggest battle is right here. This is the bigger issue. Sin, pride, rebellion, doubt, disbelief, all those things live here. The immorality that disturbs us starts here. Like when you start to think about the failures of marriages to immorality, you start to think about all the things that disturb our hearts that we hear about. You know what? The world didn't impose immorality upon us. It just drew it out of us. It advertises to it. It entices. It it tries to lure what's already there out. But by the grace of God, we can put a stake in the ground and keep it in and watch Christ just eradicate it from our life. Amen? It's just out. Our biggest battle isn't out there. Our biggest battle is right here. And so we have to start in this place. And so part of belonging to God's kingdom, part of following Jesus as your master and king and savior is to answer the call to holiness as we live in this life, as we have the inheritance for the next. I remember one of the, the biggest showdowns in my life in this area. It was my first job. I was a young man. I started working in a restaurant. And I just would either walk or ride my bike just, you know, 
about a mile and a half down the road to this restaurant, and I would work. And all of a sudden, I'm working with tons of people. I'm a young Christian. I, I, I've put the stake in my heart, but man, it was tempted to move a lot. And all of a sudden, I'm meeting uh, ladies that work there that are very aggressive relationally, if you know what I mean. There's guys inviting me to do things. I remember one night, uh, this guy said, hey, you want to go out to work? I'm like, yeah, I got to make friends with all these new people. Foreign environment, new people. Boy, I had no idea what was about to happen to me that night. I got this guy's car and just stopped by his house for a little bit at his house, just grabbed some things. And then we went to another social gathering with some other people from work. And there they're drinking. And this guy's pulling drugs out of his pocket. It's like, hey, let's have a good time. I'm like, whoa. Now I wonder what would have happened that night if I didn't go in with this already done. If I hadn't resolved in my heart that I'm not going to uh, let my personal holiness be ripped away from me. I knew right away that this was a bad situation. And so I said, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and head out. You know, can I get a ride home? He's like, nope. <laughs> so I just called a good friend. said, I need to get picked up. He took me home. It's like, man, that could have been a different night if I wouldn't have had this in my heart. You're going to be invited probably soon into an environment that's going to test this. Do you have the resolve? It says Daniel resolved. He determined in his heart that it wouldn't be taken. Is that where you're at? You've got to fight the battle on the inside. You know, of course, the way we do that is by getting close to God. It's the classic stuff. It's like, it's being in the word of God. We don't get into the Bible because we're supposed to. We get into the word because we need to, because we want to. I don't know about you. I need to be in the word or I'm a dead man, right? We don't talk to the Lord. We don't listen to the Lord. We don't pray because we're supposed to. We pray because we need to, because we want to out of our relationship with God. Being in Christian community, being in our life groups, all those areas, we're there because those are the ways we can keep God before us, Christian community around us, to keep us strong so that this doesn't fail. And so stay close to the Lord. And when you do, he shows up. He shows up. Continue with me in Daniel chapter 1. Look at verses 17 through 21. What happened to these guys? Well, as for these four youths, God, God gave them, right? God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. Talk about a final exam that will make you sweat, right? Three years of training and now you're before the king. And he wants to give you your final in person. Okay? And with them and among all them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, meaning they entered into his service. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Xerxes. What did God do? He rewarded the faith and the courage of these men. He made his servants stand out. Their courageous faith to put a stake in the ground and personal holiness led them to stand out. They won the battle here, and then God opened up doors out here. There are certain doors that will only be opened through faithfulness and obedience. And they saw those doors open up, and now they're able to influence some of the external because God gave them victory in the internal. And God gave them the wisdom, the knowledge, the insights. He made them stand out in a way, but they didn't lose their integrity to get there. Why do we 
spend so much energy and effort trying to fit in when God's called us to stand out. Like, we're not, like, please find me a Bible verse that says, thou shalt blend into the world. (laughs) Have fun with that one. Like, we're called to stand out, to be salt, to be light, to be stink, uh, not to stink. (laughs) That was supposed to be distinct, but I got muddled up there, and the room does stink a little bit, you know, so we understand all that. We don't want to stink, we, some of us do, to the world. We're supposed to be that salt and that light, we're supposed to, make it, supposed to make a difference, but if this is a mess, if this has no integrity, we're fooling ourselves trying to do anything outside of us when the battle's inside of us. And so as we start the series, we, we got to start here. We have to start here to make that difference. You know, the world calls you to blend in. Where are you compromising? Where have you been losing some ground? Where have you put a stake in the ground lately, but then lately you found yourself moving? Where is it? Is it sexual purity? Is it finances? Is it, is it in your relational realms? Is it, is it with addiction issues? Is it, is it the mind and what you're putting in? Is it the eyes and what you're allowing? In? Like, like, where are you starting to let that stake waver? Today is a day that God's calling us to make sure that this stake in the ground is solid. And it's about winning the victory on the inside before he uses us on the outside. We've got to start in this place. Where do you need to start? And so for my Christian brothers and sisters, as you evaluate your life, what is God putting his heavenly finger on right now saying, this is not pleasing to me and it's not good for you. And he's calling you to change. He says, stop rolling around and get fixed here. Personal holiness. For, for any of you here or watching online that don't know Christ, your, your first step is to come into relationship with Christ because You're not going to get holy by good works. You're not going to get holy by going to church. You're not going to get holy by saying certain prayers. You're only going to get holy by letting the Holy One come live inside of you. And that's why Jesus came and died on the cross and rose, to invite us into relationship. And so for some of you, you need to take that step of faith into relationship with Christ. And if you do that today, let us know. If you're online, just email us at connectcvconline. If, if you're here, take that response card and put, I'm, I'm following Christ today. I need Christ. And that'll be like that stake in the ground getting hammered. The beginning of a new journey. Our big idea that we're wrapping our life and heart and mind around today is this. Holiness on the inside strengthens courage on the outside. We do live in a world that's pretty hostile to a, a biblical worldview. But before we can make a difference and the external, we got to win the internal. Before we win any battles on the outside, we got to win the battle on the inside. And so let's get there first. You know, this uh, series, as we're going through that, I have a couple companion read recommends. One's called Good Faith. Good Faith is written by David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons. Uh, it's, the subtitle is Being a Christian When Society Thinks You're Irrelevant and Extreme. <laughs> so, so how do I live for the Lord in an environment that a lot of Christians have done damage with what they've done? Or people who call themselves Christians are doing crazy stuff, like we see over in Charlottesville and areas like that. Another book is called Thriving in Babylon, written by Larry Osborne. Same type of thing. What are the mindsets, the heart attitudes we need to have as we live for Christ in a world that's, that's difficult to live for Christ in? 
And so today we're called, we're called to be holy on the inside and that will strengthen the courage that we need to have on the outside. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the call to holiness. Thank you that you call us to live for you, to walk with you. Father, we acknowledge that there are some days that are very difficult. There are days when uh, we want to compromise. Compromise appeals to our sinfulness and our sin nature. Father, help us to win the battle on the inside for personal holiness like Daniel did, that we can put a stake in the ground and say, not this heart, not to be defiled in this way. Lord, take our hearts and purify them before you. Cleanse them. Draw them into a deep, intimate relationship with you. Father, we do want to be effective in this world. We do want to make a difference in this world, Lord, but we're fooling ourselves if we can't even make a difference in our own life, in our own families, in our own heart. So help us start there. So Father, take these lives, use them for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. We all said together, amen.